I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Friends, it's good to have you. Welcome to Theology Unplugged. We are here at the Credo House in studio. I'd love to have you drop by sometime, Credo House, Edmond, Oklahoma. It is uh, a very unique place, a place where you can come and just drink good coffee and hang out and use the internet and uh, look through our library that Sam continues to donate to. We got six boxes of theology books that Sam just gave us. So was it six or seven? I'm, I'm not sure. Sam is just, he's not reading books anymore. So yeah. he's just giving them all well, to He's us. going through them so fast. He just <laughs> no. has no room for They're them. still hot. Yeah. Lots and lots of books to choose from. Lots of good stuff to have. Lots of events. Stop by here. Um, we, we If you're listening to this, you probably want to talk theology. But we don't jump on people with theology, do we? Not very often. Yeah. I mean, you come up and order a coffee and we're not just going to beat you down if you just want to come here for the coffee and hang out we'll leave you alone right yeah but we're more than willing to uh, discuss our god if you'd like to sit behind the bar and discuss discuss great theology yeah. uh sat behind there yesterday and discussed with a guy from uh early morning seven o'clock till about nine o'clock we discussed uh sanctification and different types of sins that are out there and we kind of talked about sins of addiction sins of moral problems and sins of theology and kind of divided it up there and that was a lot of fun because i think we all have you know like sins of addiction you know drinking smoking uh drugs uh pornography that's kind of a category and then you got sins kind of of morality selfishness and and uh, pride and you know those types of things and then sins of theology which are just bad theology sometimes and and we all fall into some of those categories starting to take a really dark turn here today (laughs) all right all right that was that was a good discussion just type of stuff that goes on here at the credo house but also theology unplugged goes on here yeah theology broadcast we've been doing this since 2005 we have probably 200 broadcasts. Look on iTunes, back up, check us out. Uh, there's lots and lots of good stuff that uh, we go through. We may be covering Sam uh, Roman Catholicism next, right? That would be a great topic. There's a lot of uh, controversy, a lot of questions people have, and you know, every people who insist, as the reformers did, that the papacy is the antichrist, and or the Roman Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon, mm-hmm. and. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have uh, Protestant evangelicals who are uh, joining hands with uh, Roman Catholics and referring to them as brothers in Christ. And then you've got views everywhere in between. So either the Pope is the uh, Antichrist or or he's your brother in Jesus, Mm. or there's truth somewhere in between the two. Mm. Mm. And uh, all sorts of issues with Catholicism, from purgatory to Mary to the Mass. uh, And just really whether uh, a lot of people's questions are, hey, are Roman Catholics or can Roman Catholics be saved? Yeah, yeah. that's a good question. You actually uh, wrote extensively on that, didn't you, Michael? Yeah, yeah I have uh, quite a few times. Tim, and, and I grew up Roman Catholic. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. And I'm thinking of converting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you some pointers. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Tim, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the needs of the ministry. 
Yeah, we're at a stage, uh, man, Michael and I were just talking the other day. I mean, we when we first started, there were just a, a, a few of us, and now we've doubled our staff. We're uh, doing things that we never dreamed. Well, we, we dreamed way on the horizon that we'd be able to do, and now they're becoming a reality. We see the vision of what, what we feel like the Lord is calling Credo House to do as a worldwide vision that we feel like it does not exist right now and needs to exist as a place that basically is all about discipling the church in many different ways, coming alongside, assisting people in making disciples of all nations. And, and aiding the church. You know, We're not yeah, the ones who do it. Exactly. We're the ones who are standing beside the church. We're holding up the arms. We're not a church. No, exactly. But we want to be there holding up the arms and helping to equip and come alongside every pastor, every church, and uh, and help in the great calling, the worthy goal, and uh, the thing that Christ deserves, which is disciples that are worshiping him. And, uh, and we have, uh, we're excited about the vision. We're giddy about the vision in many ways. Uh, we're, we're coming out of the summer, which for every, we're a non-profit. I think every non-profit on the planet coming out of the summer is always a little beat up, a little battle-hardened in some ways because people don't think about uh, donating to ministries in the summertime. They think about swimming and, mm. and backyard barbecues and stuff like that. And we think about those things too. I, I just uh, put some chemicals in my pool this morning, but uh, at the same time, and it's not like I have a boat and a pool. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> don't get that idea. Uh, it's a little kid's pool. But anyway. <laughs> Darn, I was about ready to invite myself yeah, over. As I'm asking for funds, I'm talking about my pool in the backyard. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, we first of all, I mean, we, we hear of ministries that are trying to raise a couple hundred thousand dollars and, and, and we believe in those ministries too. And we recognize that everybody uh, has limited funds. Um, we, we do feel like though we've been blessed in many ways that, uh, we have a quite a large budget because we have quite a large vision. Uh, but we're only, sh- we're short about, uh, it depends when you hear this, but it, it'll be less than $10,000 probably in between three to $10,000. I know that's a, that's a big net, but we're, we're trying to talk to a lot of people people right now, but um, but about that $5,000 range would get us very healthy coming out of the summer, and we are so excited. We've had so many awesome things happen this summer. We're filming a church history study. That'll be the church history app, but I just I just want you to pray and think about it and consider uh, joining us and, and partnering with what we're doing. We'd be more than happy to to share with you our vision if you want more details, but if God has blessed you with being able to, to donate uh, maybe in that ballpark, uh, we would love to uh, to show how we feel like your partnership with us would really make a difference. All right, just go to creohouse.org and uh, click on the donate tab. Yeah, Sam, Michael's we- like, no talking, just give. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, we've got a passage in First Corinthians chapter or Second Corinthians chapter twelve that has uh, had various interpretations and a lot of controversy as far as exactly what this is that we're talking about. But what it comes down to is Paul's thorn in the flesh, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, the thorn in the flesh, what is this that Paul talks about that God has given to him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from exalting himself? Let's go into the passage. Okay, you want me to read it? Yeah. All right, we're not going to read verses 1 through 6, but I encourage people to do it because that's where Paul describes um, his experience in the third heaven, which was... That's a problem passage in itself. Yeah, huh? so exalted that mm-hmm. he said, I, I'm not even allowed to talk about what I saw and heard and he said it was so, if I can use this word in a proper sense, so ecstatic that he said, I'm not even sure if I was in the body or out of the body. I just know I was there, but whether it was an out-of-body experience or an in-body experience, I can't even tell. Oh, but, but, but here's the whole idea. 
I have reason, if you're talking from a worldly sense, to boast in pride, but... Right. right. And he said, uh, yeah, he said, it, it, because the, the, the false apostles in Corinth were claiming their own supernatural experiences and pointing to that as proof that they're real apostles and basically saying to Paul, you know, if you were a real apostle, you would have had some of these as well. And Paul finally just yields to the pressure because he knows the Corinthians are being duped. And he says, look, I don't like to boast. I don't want to talk about anything except my weakness. But these people have forced my hand. So here it goes. I went to the third heaven. And he says, so, you know, if anybody has grounds for boasting, I guess it would be me. But then he says It's this. kind of like me and Tim That's boasting about our THMs all day long yeah. and putting down Sam and, you know, we've got THM and we're the best. And, and then he, Sam he finally, <laughs> he's never even said anything about it, and he finally yields to his Ph.D., Right, so Paul's pulling I, out his PhD. I, I'm not going to say. I, that. Don't, I don't think that's anywhere close to what Paul's saying. Yeah, come on, Paul's pulling out his the PhD, PhD card, and, getting a PhD, and going to the third heaven. Yeah. No, I, I don't think so. Yeah, I go come to on, guys, just hang with no, a little I'd, bit. I'd go to heaven any day over a PhD. Yeah, right? I, would, I, think I, I, I am attempt. not. The, uh, oh my god! For most people, a PhD feels like hell. So. All right, so Paul in this situation says to keep me from becoming conceited. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. In other words, um, I saw things and heard things that none of you people have, and it would be easy for Paul to, f- to be conceited by this, to pat himself on the back and say, you know, I'm really special. God took me there. He didn't take you. I saw things that others haven't. And he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." And so the question is, what was this thorn in the flesh that was given him to keep him from being unduly exalted? Lots of options out there, lots of interpretations, lots of people trying to speculate and say exactly what this thorn is. Um, I've heard heard an interpretation that this thorn was his eyesight, Mm -hmm. that he had bad eyesight, (laughs) that, uh, you know, after he went blind, scales came off. And then he had bad eyesight. This is part of the reason why whenever he's writing, it says, uh, notice what big words I write in at one point. You know, sometimes he'll, he'll say something like that at the end of his letter mm-hmm. that as he signs off because he has bad eyesight. So the thorn in the flesh is eyesight. In this, well, but not just bad eyesight. It's not like, you know, I've got bad eyesight. That's why I'm wearing bifocals yeah. right now. But it was a, a rather loathsome eye affliction that was somewhat offensive to look at. It kind of was mm-hmm. disfiguring mm-hmm. in a sense, and it was it was kind of an embarrassing thing that caused him to recoil somewhat. Um, and and that you know before you start puffing yourself up, Paul, about your experiences, look at yourself in the mirror for heaven's sake. That mm-hmm. kind of affliction, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, or his uh, his look in general. Uh, people have said that his his affliction is. Yeah, I actually uh, wrote down a list of the various afflictions over the years that have been mentioned. Okay, tell us. Give us some of them. Epilepsy, malaria, gallstones, kidney stones, gout, deafness, dental infection, rheumatism, 
earaches, headaches, sciatica, arthritis, and leprosy. Okay, okay, Sam. <laughs> every single one of those has to do with something bodily. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Something to do with uh, our, our physicality. Do we go there? Is that the? Is that mm-hmm. where we start and we say this thorn in the flesh idea has to be confined to something that is in his body? I mean, could it be depression? Could it be? You know, so that's that was a view that it was uh, emotional distress or depression of some sort. But well, that comes. Let's that brings us to the text, verse seven. A thorn was given me in the flesh. And some people have said, you know, as we all know, the word flesh can mean a lot of different things in the New yeah. Testament. Um, we talked about First um, Peter three in our last broadcast, where Christ was crucified in or with regards to the flesh, and there, most likely, it was a reference to the earthly, fleshly, material realm mm-hmm. in which we live. It can also refer to our fallen, sinful nature. It can also refer just to the body in a morally neutral sense. Mm-hmm. So we got to make up our minds. What does it mean here? Uh, some have actually said that a thorn was giving, given me with regards to my fallen, sinful, carnal nature. Um, I struggle with that because the thorn, I think, comes from God. Uh, it's a divine passive. A thorn was given to me. That's kind of typical Pauline language for it was given to me by God. For people who don't know what a divine passive is, it's places in the New Testament where uh, instead of explicitly referring to God as the one who is acting, it's cast in the passive voice. So instead of saying, God gave me a thorn, a thorn was given to me, and the implication is by God. But God wouldn't give Paul a carnal sinful struggle because god doesn't tempt us to sin in that sense i think the flesh here is a reference to his body i think it's used here in a morally neutral sense referring to his physical constitution because well obviously i've tipped my hand as to what i think the thorn was but um well let's let's go into just modern day usage of it i mean we do use that a lot of the biblical language pulls into our culture and and we use it all of the time we do use this idea of thorn in the flesh, you know. Mm. We, this person is a thorn in my flesh. Sometimes it's a person, you know. Mm. Sometimes it's a spouse, you know. My spouse is my thorn in my flesh. Sometimes it's the job. Sometimes, you know, we just go on and on. We can use it for pretty much anything. I've looked it up here and tried to figure out, okay, where in the Bible is this is the same type of phraseology used or uh, something similar to it. And I do find a few places in Numbers thirty three fifty five. It says, um, but if you drive out the the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them whom you let remain shall be uh, barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. And the same word here is used for thorns. Uh, in the in the um, uh, Hosea passage, there's a similar one. I will hedge up your way with thorns and build a wall against her so she cannot find her paths. The idea here, again, is, is some type of obstruction, some type of uh, something that is going to stop you, that is going to change your direction. Um, the numbers passage, I think, is the best one, though, whenever it talks about the people being thorns in your sides. Uh, is the sides the same type of thing as flesh? Or, Sam, Tim, does the word flesh here draw us in and necessitate what Sam seemed to imply just a moment ago, that it is a physical thing. Well, 
it could simply be a um, kind of a figurative way of referring to himself. In other words, when he says there was given me a thorn in the flesh, in other words, there was given to me, myself, this thorn. And it doesn't refer necessarily just to the body, nor to the carnal fallen nature, the sinful impulses. It's just simply another way of, of referring to himself. There was given to me. And, and people would say maybe we shouldn't press the word flesh to mean anything specific as to body or uh, soul. But it simply means there was given to me. Yeah. That's yeah. a possibility. Well, and, and we always have to think, too, that we are, you know, Paul is more of a Hebrew uh, mindset, and uh, we are Western people who want to dissect everything, too. And so one question we have to ask is, is Paul even having to, is he in his mind taking us to a level of speaking about a minute thing? Or, you know, we know he was shipwrecked. We know uh, he was beaten nearly to death. You know, we, we know that he had physical problems where people were helping him. Is he speaking about one specific thing in one specific specific sphere uh, that, I mean, it seems like he might be because he's pleading with the Lord to remove it from him, but we also have to recognize that we always want the minute detail, and we even will divide between, is this in your body, is this outside your body, and he might he might be just using this in a very broad sense. You know, some people, like I mentioned a moment ago, there's actually been an interpretation, and believe it or not, within the Roman Catholic Church and its tradition, that this is a reference to sexual lust. And as a way of keeping Paul humble and not getting conceited, God um, allowed him to suffer with inordinate sexual desire and lust. And I find that really objectionable. I don't think God would give somebody inordinate sexual lust and then tell them, especially his apostle, stop praying to be delivered from it. Can we, are we really to believe that God said, look, I'm giving you inordinate sexual lust you're going to have real problems and struggling with this sin and stop asking me to deliver you from it uh, would paul really say for example in verse 10 i am content with sexual lust uh, i just find that a really bizarre interpretation that is interesting that does narrow the fields i think um the word here that i i think is is very pivotal is the way that St. Paul sees this um, in the in the Net Bible, New English Translation. It says, um, it was a messenger of Satan to trouble me. I don't really like that translation. Um, let, me, let me give you some others. Uh, messenger of Satan to torment, NIV, to buffet. I like that one. <laughs> I think that's King James. Um, New Jerusalem Bible has to batter me. Uh, New Living Translation has to torment. Uh, NRS has to torment. The Greek word that it's taken from, uh, kalafezo, uh, is to strike with a fist or to treat roughly. To buffet, as some have put it. Yeah. You know, the ESV renders it harass. To beat me up. Yeah, it's... Uh, some have even said the image here is because of a thorn, which could be... It's actually used... In other places, in extra-biblical Greek, to refer to, to almost like a spear or a splinter that impales somebody. Mm. Um, and so Paul seems to envision a repetitive, ongoing uh, buffeting or beating or mm. painful infliction uh, of some sort. Taken from one of the uh, ancient writers, one of the ancient Greek writers, it's used in the sense of, um, my head is lumpy from the blows that I have received. Mm. 
uh, found almost exclusively in Christian literature, though, outside of this, which we don't have very many times, but to strike, to cause physical impairment. Uh, this is the only times that I have this. Now, now uh, it, it seems like every single time that this is used, it is attacks of physicality, painful attacks of illness I have here in the um, uh, BDAG. Mm-hmm. So, so let, let's... Let's bring up another question here that's going to help us. What about this reference to the messenger of Satan? Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, it seems as if God has given him the thorn as something that is good because it keeps him from doing something that is bad. In other words, God says, I don't want you to be puffed up, Paul. I don't want you to get a big head over your experiences. So I'm going to give you a thorn in your flesh, whatever it means, that's going to help you in your sanctification. It's going to keep you from being puffed up. It's going to humble you. And yet it says that it was a messenger of Satan. And that throws people. And actually, this this comes back to a, a, a Theology Unplugged broadcast we did um, several, week, several weeks ago. In the Chronicles? In this issue of, of problem mm-hmm. passages. Yeah, mm-hmm. about about um, how God sent a deceiving spirit yeah, into the yeah. mouth of the prophet. Yeah. And we made the point that God can utilize demonic spirits to accomplish his purposes. They are subject to his sovereign will. Uh, think, for example, of Job. Yeah. Uh, Satan intended to destroy Job. God intended to refine him and to use his experience to vindicate God's greatness. Or take, for example, the cross. Uh, Satan and demons wanted to kill Jesus. Well, so did God the Father, but both for different reasons. Mm -hmm. They had different motive, and they wanted to accomplish something altogether opposite from it. So my suspicion is, is what happened here is that God utilized a demonic spirit to inflict Paul with this thorn. The demonic spirit was thinking, oh, great, I get to really create problems for the apostle maybe it'll maybe it will hinder his ministry god on the other hand has another higher and more holy intent in view namely this is going to keep my apostle humble it's going to help him satan says no it's going to hurt him god says well it's going to hurt him in one sense but it's going to hurt him in order to help him to keep him humble so that's an interesting twist um let's let me bring um, up the most popular interpretation. Okay, uh, It's not my view, but it's the one that most often people mention. And they say that the thorn in the flesh were Paul's enemies, uh, those who persecuted him. Some would say it is specifically a reference to the Judaizers who were constantly uh, slandering him, resisting him, even the times when they stoned him, when they cast him out of the cities. Um, Others would say maybe it's a specific reference to the enemies of Paul in Corinth. Remember the false apostles that he talks about in this letter who were undermining his ministry and questioning his credentials. And so a very popular view, and by the way, especially among charismatics, charismatics almost to a person will say, No, this is definitely a reference to his enemies because charismatics don't want to say it's a physical affliction because they're fundamentally opposed to the idea that God could give to one of his faithful children, like Paul, a physical affliction that can aid them in their sanctification. 
Now, I'm a charismatic, but I have no problem in saying that because I think there are redemptive, sanctifying benefits from physical affliction and ailments. So I don't have a problem with that, but almost all Pentecostals and charismatics will really fight the idea that this has had anything to do with Paul's physical state. They say, oh, no, 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 this is a reference to his enemies. They were this constant thorn, you know, jabbing him in the side and resisting his gospel efforts um, to, uh, and, and that was what kept Paul humble at all times. Well, and, and I think you could possibly get there through chapter 11 of Second sure. Corinthians, because, uh, and uh, I mean, I think that if you have this whitewashed view of Paul, except he has this one problem that, you know, modern medicine could have given him a pill for, possibly, uh, but that God prevented him from. But starting in verse 24, uh, five times I received uh, at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. And if you don't know what Jews, what the thought was, was that if you gave someone 40 lashes, it would kill them. And so if you do 40 lashes less one, they won't die. And he received that five different times. And then it says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. So about six times now he probably should have died from, from these, these things that he got. So this is, a, this is a scarred man with many scars on his body. Then three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, but here, verse 28 is where people can come to this view. He says, and apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That it seems like he puts that at the top of that. With all of this physical things, I've, I've nearly been beaten to death on multiple occasions because of my faith in Christ, because of my proclamation of the gospel. But now I also have this great anxiety for the churches. And from there, he transitions into chapter 12. Now, let me let me say this to you guys and ask you guys a question. What did all this stuff so far that Tim just read been right after our current passage? It says... Um, um, Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties. Now, I would look at all these and I'd say these are all thorns in the flesh in, in a modern usage. You know, the way we use it today. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are all things that would keep him from exalting himself. I mean, weaknesses, distresses, difficulties, st- being stoned, mm-hmm. being lashed. These are all things that would keep him from exalting himself in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But Paul zeroes in and says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. I talked to God about removing this. It's always in the singular. And so it's interesting because built all around this, we got things that would that would humble Paul. But above all of those things, there's one that stands out there's in one Paul's in particular mind. that's unique. Which I think that's what makes it so hard is because we have such a long list that we could choose from. Yeah. You know, for any of it, we could pick 20 things that we think it could have been but in Paul's the, life. But, but just think of this from a very practical standpoint. How many things, how much these would humble us. Normally, we don't have any of them. I mean, not one of these. But Paul's got something above and beyond every one of these that we're talking about that God specifically has brought to him to humble him. And maybe it's something specific to do with Paul, you know, something Paul really, really wants, or it's something that really 
drags him down. If this doesn't drag him down, these things, what in the world could be so incredible that he, in the sandwiched in between these things, says, there's this one thing, though. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. But there's this one thing that well, and I is think worse that, than all of I, I would ask God, hey, God, three times, please don't let me get lashed again. Yeah. And I think that's what's so individualistic about everyone's walk with the Lord, though, is the things that bother me. Like, I might get punched in the face 50 times, and you know what? That could almost make me prideful because I'm like, wow, you know, God's allowed me. To, I must be kind of important because, uh, you know, here enemies of God are punching me in the face, and I could get prideful of that. Someone else gets punched in the face. That could just ruin their day, you know, but I could be prideful. And I think it's that individual. Some people really, really struggle with anxiety. Other people don't. Other people struggle with, with other things and how each one of us desperately need our Savior uh, on all sorts of various issues. Let me come back to this uh, question of whether the thorn could be a reference to Paul's enemies, his persecutors, the Judaizers. And I'm going to tell you why I think it isn't, and it can't be. I think that there's some explicit indicators in the text. Number one, notice he says, a messenger of Satan to keep me from being conceited. Um, it, it, it would be odd, not impossible, but it'd be very odd that Paul would be referring to this collective group of enemies that he had throughout the course of his life and ministry and describe them as a singular messenger of Satan. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, but that's not the clearest way of communicating that idea. And then secondly, let's not forget earlier in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 4, chapter 6, and also in this passage Tim just read in 11, Paul clearly says that persecution and opposition is the lot of every believer. Mm-hmm. He says you're, we're all to expect to re- you know he says uh, uh, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He says what in that Second Timothy I believe. So, uh, to, but here Paul seems to say this is something unique to me. I was given this thorn as a direct result of having had this experience in the third heaven. Um, that doesn't really sound like uh, the kind of general opposition and tribulation and persecution that all Christians are exposed to. And then also, are we really to believe that Paul would have prayed to God that he be spared persecution? When Paul clearly said, you know, Ananias told him, Jesus said, "Go, Ananias, go tell Paul, tell him the many tribulations that he must suffer for my name's sake. Are we to think that Paul then says, Lord, please take away these persecutions from me? Or would he not have prayed, Lord, give me the faith and the endurance and the courage to bear up under them? Mm -hmm. But here's the key. I think that there is an explicit reference in this passage that tells us why it is impossible for this view to be correct. And it's back in verse 2. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, let's put two and two together. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, most scholars believe, in 56 AD. So Paul is writing in 56, and he said, this third heaven experience happened to me 14 years earlier, which means it was in 42 AD that he had this third heaven experience. And he makes it very clear that the thorn was only given to him after this third heaven experience to keep him from being unduly blown up in his own mind, right? Mm -hmm. 
So whatever the thorn in the flesh is, it only came to Paul at the very earliest, 42 A.D., 14 years prior to the writing of 2 Corinthians. But we know Paul was converted around 33 or 34 A.D., nine years earlier. And we have multiple examples from the book of Acts and elsewhere of Paul being persecuted and resisted and opposed by Judaizers and the like from the very moment of his conversion. So how can Paul be saying, I I didn't receive this opposition or this resistance until 42 AD, when in fact we know from Acts and Galatians and elsewhere that he was being persecuted and resisted and opposed from the very moment of his conversion. So Paul helps us with this chronological indication. He said, He's saying, I had this experience in 42 AD. It was upon that experience I received this thorn. Well, we know that he had been being persecuted prior to that, so it's very difficult for me to believe that the thorn is a reference to his persecutors or the Judaizers. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, definitely. Definitely. Okay, let's, uh, as we're running out of time here, let's talk about two things here. First, I want to say, do you guys know exactly what the thorn of the flesh is? Or do you have any no guess? No. <laughs> yeah, I'd say no too. I, I I really think it, it's a personal thing. I, I I don't like the idea. It just doesn't seem natural to me that it's other people. I I think this is a very personal thing for Paul. Very and, personal. Do you believe it's something that is a physical thing? You know what? I, I, for me, I don't think it really. I mean, I I think it's a body. Th- like I th- I think it could be a, like a mental thing, but uh, I think it's a it's a specific enough thing that he can name it and say, God, please remove depression please remove my eye disease please remove the you know the neurological problems i have in my big toe you know some i, I think though it's very personal for hey, paul i have neurological problems well, yeah well toe. you know i wanted you to you feel that, like right? you could have a well, you, yeah, you, know, you could have there? a friend in paul you know, i really do i think there is incredible pastoral wisdom in the fact that he didn't identify it for huh. us yeah because if he had then what would we be doing? We'd be saying, well, I've never had that particular yeah. problem, so yeah. this has no relevance to yeah. me. Yeah. I think God kept him from identifying it precisely because he wanted all of us to realize that in our own ways, many of us have a thorn in the flesh uh, that is unique to us, that, that is a real struggle that might we might wish that God would remove, but for his sanctifying purposes in our life, he hasn't. Well, I think generally speaking, we can say this, that God gives people humbling factors in their life. And this particular one came from Satan. I don't think we have to always say that it has to be uh, in the same sense from Satan. Um, but it could be very well from Satan, using Satan in such a way, or allowing us to be certain ways, allowing us to be born with certain problems or or defects, you know, uh, that, that, that humble us. But give... Let's 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 conclude this. And Sam, I want you to give pastoral. You're concluding a sermon on this, and you're talking to people, thousands of people that are listening to this, and they want to say, okay, how does this apply to me? Let me say two things first. I do think I know what it is, but I can't be dogmatic. I think the best case can be made that it's some sort of loathsome, repulsive to the to the sight, eye affliction. Mm. And let me quickly give the reason. You referred to it earlier, Michael. In Galatians, um, I want to make sure I get the right passage. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, Paul writes, 
you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? Now listen, he says, For I testify to you that if possible you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Now, could that be simply a figurative reference like you would have gone to the nth degree to help me? Yes. But it could just as easily mean that this bodily ailment was an eye affliction and you loved me so much that if possible you would have taken your own eye out and given it to me Mm -hmm. in place of the one that I'm suffering from. And then at the end of the letter, verse six, chapter six, verse eleven, he says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, indicating that Paul said, I took the pen out of my secretary's hand and I wrote this in really large letters because my eyesight is so bad I otherwise wouldn't be able to see it. So I'm not being dogmatic. I'm not saying definitely it's an eye affliction. I think the weight of evidence leans in that direction. But getting back to your... For, for curious spectators, you know, that's that's the deal. But for pastoral, like you said, it is, it is left blank. Right. And I would say to people, uh, the real key here is at the end of our passage where Paul says... Um, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And I think everybody listening to us has um, certain weaknesses. And we're not talking about sins. We're talking about affliction, enemies, um, financial struggles, um, personality quirks, um, you know, a, a, a boss who is unjust and exacting, uh, maybe um, what about a, what about like a hard marriage or a um, a a struggle with depression? Yeah, I, I think these all could fall under the concept of a thorn in the flesh that we cry out to God to take away. That is distressing, whether it's emotional, uh, mental, spiritual, psychological, physical, financial, social, whatever. But you want to say that it has something. I'm sorry. I know that this no, is no, no, a right, sermon yeah. conclusion. But you want to say that it is something that could be like somebody says, I struggle real hard with addictions of some sort. Well, the, I, would, I would be reluctant to say that because I find it hard for Paul then to say, for I am content with this. Mm-hmm. I don't think Paul would ever say he or that we should be content with our sin. Maybe he's not saying I'm content with the sin, but the content with that I have to struggle with this the rest of my life. In other words, like somebody just comes up and says, you know, I, I've struggled my whole life with with um, with uh, the the tendency to go towards some types of addictions or something like that. And you say, they say, you know, it's, I'm content with that God is not going to just deliver me completely from struggling with this, from wrestling with my sin. Well, yeah, but... Or it could be any sin. But again, I mean, but remember, Paul said, God gave me this thorn. Yeah. Does I mean, God it, give us addictions? I, okay, I, let's put that in homosexuality. I'm sorry. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to put this in, in uh, different terms that are that are definite. I'm just thinking out loud. No, here. I understand, and I think you raised some excellent points. But but I think you're starting to apply other verses when you get into those categories. I think, I think like, we're speaking specifically here about something that does not seem to be related to any sin on Paul's part. And so to then start bringing in these sinful things and applying them, you know, I, 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 think, I think what I get out of this most pastorally is it seems to be 
Paul has come through so much. It's like him and God had been through so much together. They had fought such great victories, survived so many harrowing moments. And then it's like, God, we've come through all of this together, and now this. And now this thorn in my flesh. You know, it's like the person who has just valiantly stood against so much in a lifetime of fruitful ministry. And then when they're late in life, they just get beat up with all of these things. And it's like, God, again, you know, would you please just let me have this peace? But he says, no, I'm keeping you close to me throughout all the way to the end. And remember also, and I think, Michael, this was another reason why I would struggle with the view you just articulated. Is Paul says, God gave this to me to keep me from sinning. He gave this to me to keep from getting a big head and having an egotistical uh, uh, perception of myself and thinking that I'm better than others. And it doesn't make much sense to me to say that God would give me or allow me to struggle with one particular sin in order to yeah, keep me from yeah. committing another particular sin. It's the sin. giving of it. And if it said God allowed me to have, that would be a different deal. You talked yeah. about the divine passive at the very beginning, yeah. and it's a given to them. And so, I, but, but generally speaking, backing off from this passage, you could say possibly from a pastoral standpoint, again, thinking out loud, that God allows for us to struggle through certain ailments and sometimes sinful tendencies yes. um, because I, I am thinking some friend of m- friends of mine that struggle with certain things whether it's addictions or like homosexuality and they just say why doesn't god deliver me right. I, I want out of this i don't want this temptation well, well people ask that question all the time they say why why if i've been forgiven of the guilt of my sin doesn't god just immediately deliver me from the power of it and its presence why do I have to struggle through this process called sanctification for years, mm-hmm. battling temptation and failing and then being restored? And why didn't he just set me free in one fell swoop, as it were? And yes, and in response to that, one reason is so that we will continually be dependent and never presumptuous, that we will see in our uh, progressive and 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 occasional victories by the power of the Spirit, the glory of Christ revealed in us, and we can point to Him and say, His power is sufficient for me in the midst of my lack of power. So yes, in in that sense, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But in the sense of this God, passage, yeah, in the sense of God giving him a sinful addiction or a sinful impulse mm-hmm. in order to keep him from committing another sin, yeah. namely pride, yeah. that just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I got you. Good stuff, man. I mean, this was really, really, I think, uh, not only enlightening, but like we said, this is something that touches all of us and that the, the, the way that God does deal with us and to encourage us, you know, in the end that uh, there are things that you're you're afflicted with right now. There are ailments that you have and that God may never deliver you from those types of things. But we will be delivered. And Sam, Sam just has finished a book on, uh, or finishing, I'm not sure which one, a book on the end times and the eschatology. And, and so many times we, we go to that and we got to say, that's the final redemption. Mm-hmm. This is the, that's whenever we will be finally delivered. Paul, whatever the thorn in the flesh was, doesn't have that thorn in the flesh, or will not have that thorn in the flesh in the resurrection. Yeah, and just one final word: let's not miss the most important statement in this entire passage. It comes from Jesus Himself: "My grace is sufficient for you." Mm-hmm. And that's what our reader, our listeners, need to understand. Whatever you're dealing with. Um, whether it's a sinful addiction or a, a demonic torment or enemies or some sort of physical, a loathsome, embarrassing condition, the grace of Jesus Christ is enough to get you through it. Amen. 
All right, guys. We uh, hope you enjoyed the broadcast. Next week, we'll uh, continue discussing difficult passages of the Bible. Until then. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.